0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: the chain I'm your host Yvonne Mason with my co-host Ian Bush that song Voodoo Queen is was written and performed by some friends of mine a group called Dirt Road Sunset if you have not heard them go on YouTube and pull up their YouTube channel these guys are absolutely amazing and of course Voodoo Queen is one of my favorite songs welcome to the show author Tim Ahrens, who has been on my show before, has graciously joined us again to talk about his new book, what he's been doing, what he's going to do, what he might do, and the stuff that he may or may not get into, because you all know I have interesting guests on this show, and this is just a little bit about Tim. He's been writing for more than 40 years, and he's especially passionate about character creation. I've read both of his books, and he knows how to create a character. He worked on a number of short stories and novels, and he has also spent some time working on developing a comic book characters, and he frequently collaborates with other writers. Dark Creatures is his second book. His first, The Salvation of Tanagel, and I probably mispronounced it, with a <laughs> forward by Piers Anthony, was also published by Lucid Style. If you want more of, of Tim, go to com. Guys, tonight, for some reason, my, my brain just does not link in with my, my mouth. I don't know what's going on with it. It's been one of those days. But welcome, Tim. I'm glad you're here with us. <laughs> and I'm glad Ian's here to pick up the slack because I can't speak quite blandly tonight. <laughs> Oh, well, you Thank know, you, that's,
2: Yvonne. that's what I'm here for, Yvonne.
1: <laughs> and it starts, righty?
2: <laughs> right. All right, Yvonne, it's time for bed. Let's go. <laughs> Get you back to your room now, Yvonne. <laughs>
3: hey, Tim, well, how are you doing? I'm good. Uh, don't forget your hot toddy before you lay down, by the way.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, oh that,
3: yeah.
2: A hot Captain necessity, and- no pun intended.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Captain and diet would be a little... Would be a nice little, a nice little (laughs) drink tonight. Either that or the other dark rum I I bought and I forget the name of it, but it is you can almost drink it just straight out of a glass. It's that smooth. But moving, yeah. And where did I? Oh, I got it in. Actually, they make it in bourbon barrels in Kentucky, in Bardstown, Kentucky. They make it in bourbon barrels, and what they do is they take old bourbon barrels that they're not gonna cook the bourbon in anymore and they they make this rum and what happens is is as they're making this rum it pulls out the flavor that has soaked into these oak barrels
3: yeah i'm I'm a big brandy fan so that's they used to do they have a brandy out there like that too i can't remember the name of it right off the top of my head but it's it's really good
1: (laughs) smooth as silk i'm telling you so tim it has been a minute since we have had a chance to sit and talk. And in that minute, you put out a second book. And you sent me that book. And as I'm reading that book, I found myself being drawn into the book as one of the characters. And I know that was probably your intent. Let's talk about that for a minute. What brought this book about? Dark Creatures,
3: a simple game is a, God, let me uh, stop trying to think of how to phrase this without spending all afternoon talking about how it was, <laughs> how it was made. It's we got um, a Yeah, It's a multi-level book, so you've got three different things going on simultaneously that none of the characters in the book but a separate few know about what's going on all at once. So you've got Augury Parse and Lilica uh, Trevelyan. Those are the two fantasy characters in the book. Um, they think they're just going through their own basic world. Um, they're pretty much freelance mercenaries. One's a bard and one's a, one's a warrior. Um, and they just pick up jobs as they go along. And that world is called the world of dark creatures. Uh, it's world of, it's, the world of dark creatures is made up of... Any kind of every any kind of monster you can think of or it has been written about or in literature or legend, um, they all live in that world along with humans and such like and so forth, and they don't get along so they don't all live together happily ever after <laughs> It's a pretty dark world. <laughs> then you have the two main characters in the first book uh, in Dark Creatures, which was um, William Donovan and Doug Pimpkin. Uh, William Donovan's a high school kid who's uh, a junior, sophomore, junior in high school. He's just getting out of school, and he gets hooked up playing this video game. He thinks is is a video, an, an old nine-bit video game. He thinks he's playing called Dark Creatures. When he's actually controlling Lilica and Augury's movements. Doug Pimkin, on the other hand, is another person who gets caught up in this game of Dark Creatures. Um, he thinks he's playing. Um, Another individual, um, which I'm not going to mention at the moment, <laughs> he's, he's one of the <laughs> villains in the in the story. Um, Doug, unfortunately, is what you would call a sociopathic psychopath. Mm. So he's got some really mental, uh, serious mental issues.
1: <laughs> one would say. Hey, if you
2: are. If you need some support in that, I know a couple of people in my past that might be able to help you
1: uh,
2: craft <laughs> mental issues.
3: So. Believe it or not, when a friend of mine actually read the book, um, they were wondering if I was calling out for help. I But let's see. And then the third up here is actually forgotten gods. These are gods that are no longer are... are are active in this world. Um, they are now waiting for the end of time so that they can move on. There's a reason why they were brought into into this existence in the first place throughout history, and I go into that in the book. Um, that gets a little metaphysical, but it doesn't take long. I don't spend huge amounts of, of time. I'm not a J.R.R. token that spends four chapters on one
1: point. <laughs> yeah, he can do it. Yeah, he can. <laughs> but um, Him and Stephen and King. Guns,
3: <laughs> These guys are actually controlling the whole the whole shig- Dig. They picked William and to go against each other uh, as a good versus evil platform. Um Doug and William are now going against each other in the game, uh using Luleka and um Augury along with Doug's character. Um Unfortunately, uh, things start to get out of control with this simple game of Dark Creatures. It's just supposed to be a game played between two gods, and it's only supposed to be a very focused game on one little little area. Well, it starts to get out of control and expand, and now it's taken over the entire town of Milton by the end of the first book. Um, Things are really starting to spiral out of control. And if the gods don't these, these gods don't get things under control, they're afraid that the gods that are now in control of this universe at the moment, um, whichever you may wish to to imagine them to be, will stomp on them <laughs> so they're very the uh, re- yeah they're very desperate to try to get this game back under their control and end it, which is uh, so they decide that at the end of the the simple game that this game is expanded to something they call a grand game, which means it contains more than just good versus evil, one god against one god. So now you've got, in the grand game, you've got five gods picking five different players um, who are picking five different pieces in the world of dark creatures, all of which we are slowly being pulled together in, in one huge, fantastic ending.
1: Do you remember <laughs> the, the... I know Ian probably does the the game that they were playing, and it was... What was the name of that game? It was a reality game. Tron. No, it wasn't Tron. It, it was some. It was um. Oh, what was the <clears> name? <throat> but it. Yeah.
3: What was it about? It, it, was,
1: it was a fantasy game. But what happened is, if memory serves me correctly, it it became a real life scenario for some people. They really got oh, into. Oh, I think you Yeah, I think you're thinking of um, not Dungeons and Dragons. It's the one
3: they had to spin off on the Dungeons and Dragons for the TV movie. Yeah, yeah,
2: I I vaguely remember what. I I was going to say Dungeons and Dragons faster than than that
1: too,
2: (laughs) so I don't blame you
1: for thinking that. But but the the, yeah, and the lunatics were running the asylum. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So what happens?
3: What happens? So what's going on at the moment is um, at the end of uh, the simple game as it's starting to accelerate into a grand game is the poor little city of Milton, Wisconsin is now cut off from the rest of the world. As the gods try to get a hold of, of what's going on and stop um, what could be an implosion that might actually destroy this particular reality in itself. <laughs> mm.
2: So I'm glad brought that up, Tim. Um, so I also am a fan of that genre, and that was actually um, one of my favorite genres to write, and um, never really got anything published in it, but I still got time to write it, right? Oh, definitely. So I know when I'm character creating and building new worlds, um, I'm shocked at how much fantasy, fiction, and reality kind of blend together. How much of your personal world do you see in the world that you created?
3: Well, as far as William and Doug's world goes, it's pretty much mirrors my own. It's it pretty much mirrors the modern world. As I said, the, um, the moment they think they're just playing a video game, um, but you are as
2: actually as having a cry for help. I'm <laughs> <laughs> nice
0: one. He, and he says that so seriously, right? <laughs> yeah.
2: We we have services, well, Tim. We love you. It's okay,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Tim. Well, we it's true.
3: To tell you the truth, in order to create Doug, since I'm I'm pretty much a mild-mannered individual, I don't do anything you know out of the ordinary besides play ESO, which is Elder Scrolls Online.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, to create him, I actually had to do a lot of digging. So yeah, I did a lot of work on Bundy, Ted Bundy, and a lot of other serial killers like Ed Gein. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. If, if you, when you start reading about Doug Pimpin, and, and Yvonne, can probably testify to this too, you'll see bits and pieces of those serial killers pop up in his personality.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I did. I'm going. You and know what a, I said, Tim? I said um, I want to know. In which one of my nightmares did Tim Aaron <laughs> show up, and how long did he stay there?
3: Because
2: <laughs> how many a, secrets a, are known now?
3: <laughs> exactly. He's a pretty nasty king. He's a pretty nasty character, um, Doug is. He's a very um, very introverted individual. He looks at the world in a very sociopathic, psychopathic um, model, for instance. He worked uh, in the book as a security guard, night security guard, at a paper plant, a uh, printing plant. But he believes the entire world is against him, and so he's against the entire world. So he calls them all um, what Stephen King and, and Christine called everyone, shitters. <laughs> So he, yeah, so he thinks that you know, for instance, since he's getting larger, since he's, he he doesn't take care of himself, he eats a tremendous amount of junk food, drinks a tremendous amount of soda, he never takes care of himself. He thinks that since his uniform is getting tight, it's because they are shrinking it, not that not that he's getting larger, that they're actually buying him smaller uniforms to pick on him. I mean, I don't, I don't think he's completely wrong. I'm having the same issue right now. So... <laughs>
2: I don't think he's completely out of out of out of uh the realm of normalcy i I feel like I connect with Doug more than any other treasure <laughs> character continue please i
3: had, I did have a fan to write me and tell me that he thought that um as far as the villains go, Doug fit right into into the world I was working with so
1: <laughs> well d- and then, um, okay. d- you know the old adage, Tim, the old adage is we write what we know this <laughs> I could do be a lot of research
3: on. I do a lot of research on serial killers and um forensic files. I watch quite a bit of that and um and such. And all of Doug's knowledge for instance which is an inside joke for, for me and the and the readers. Um I'm hopefully you got you might have got this Yvonne, It might have passed over it's it's but his his entire outlook for instance on the legal system is everything he's learned from uh that TV show what is it not mm-hmm. CSI it's
1: And 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 that is the mindset uh that is the mindset of the criminal element. They really believe they're smarter than the cops, the attorneys, and the judicial system. Because the first words out of their mouth is, "I watch Law and Order." Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. well, was an inside joke for me and the readers is when when he thinks he's being being tracked down by the cops, he knows how to outsmart them because he's watched Law and Order. <laughs>
1: And, that's it. and And in real life, that is, that is their mindset. They really believe that because they've watched things like Law and Order and CSI and Forensic Files and Unsolved Mysteries and How to Get Away with Murder and Three Easy Lessons, that they know what they're doing. Well, bless their hearts in their own stupidity, they've just tripped themselves up.
3: That's true. And then, of course, you've got um, the, the World of Dark Creatures which is a world closer to this world and dimensionally. So um when uh, since I've I've created this particular universe to be like um a puzzle box, like if you want to think of um, Hellraiser's puzzle box, everything moves and shifts. Um so when a when a when a, a door opens, uh, something can come in and something can get out. So that's why I'm I'm kind of placing the fact that that's where some people vanish to and they vanish um, and no one can find a trace of them. They just kind of slide into the, into the world of dark creatures or another world that, was, that a door had opened for them and then suddenly shut them, locked them in behind. And so Augury is, and Lilica are both monsters. Um, so every, every, every hero in the dark creatures world, or a lot of the people in the dark creatures world, if you're not, how do you put this? If you're not a victim, you're a wolf. So um, a lot of the, the things that move in this world, humans are a lot like cattle or sheep because they don't have a lot of power. <laughs> and then there are mm-hmm. monsters that, that do things to balance things out. And then, are, of course, there are evil monsters that do things that, that in history or, or legend will will say is not very nice at all. <laughs> I won't go into too much gory detail. <laughs> so Augury is actually a race. And there's uh I'll stop start by asking both of you guys if you know what a wraith is. Oh yeah. Uh
2: there's oh, cool. a lot of different definitions, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, are you are we okay. talking <laughs> don't you go pull my monster manual out or
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> A Wraith, yeah, the wraith it's it's a it's a disembodied spirit that that's a vengeful spirit, dark spirit, it's got power. Hmm. Um Augury actually inhabits the, um, the the object to which he has been, um, how do I put it, sealed in. It's called, it's a, it's a sword. It's called la, la mia morte, which mm. in French means my death. <laughs> mm. and, That's cool. Um, and Lilica is actually a succubus. Mm. Um, and then, and I, go into I married panels. one of those. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> She's
2: probably listening to the show, and she's like, "I hate him
0: for that." He's <laughs> never
2: so shriveled up. Yeah, right. I'm I'm sitting over here like getting spritzed by uh, water bottles, trying to keep alive for Yvonne's show.
3: Um, so as I that said, was said with
2: love. Her. It was said with love.
3: I <laughs> will find you, you. Yeah, right. <laughs> So they're mercenaries in this world, and so they travel from place to place. Right now, they were in Tang. They just finished in in a, in a simple game, which is a book that I have out right now. They've just finished with the city of Tanglegem. Tanglegem has got to be one of your worst nightmare fantasy cities you can possibly um, possibly enter. You will find tidbits of it in uh, the Salvation of Tanglegem, which is my first book. In fact, as you read on through the series of Dark Creatures, you'll find I'm taking tidbits of all those short stories, Yvonne, and putting them into Dark Creatures. So.
1: I noticed that. If,
3: yeah, so if you've read uh, the Salvation of Tango Gale, you go, "Oh wow, hey, 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 wait!" Hey. You'll see
0: the <laughs> mm, these I
1: remember those people.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> mhm. They were in my dreams for several days.
0: <laughs> Why
2: are we pulling so many uh, personal themes from these stories? We gotta, we gotta slow down a little bit.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> we're gonna I'll get in trouble in for the nights out. Oh, and right. <laughs> the
1: water's fine it the water's fine, you know the the thing about it is though seriously what what the non writing world does not understand and that includes readers is we write those things we know, we write mm-hmm. those things that we have an interest in, and when we do that. It builds on itself And and yeah We write from personal experiences Even in fantasy We mm-hmm. write from personal experience We draw that in Yeah um, Actually
3: I've, I've had a couple of conversations With people about character creation As we were talking about it earlier <laughs> And um, one of my big, big um, Recommendations or t- tips To people who are always talking to me about character creation How I create my characters Is um, I always try to tell them that when you're writing a book and you're creating a character, you have to make it live in your imagination.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: It's literally got to, it's almost literally got to live and breathe so that when you're writing that book, you'll know exactly what that person would, will say, do, how they'll react in a particular situation emotionally. It's, it's, it's you know, you really have to make that character live. Well, mm-hmm.
1: except in my case where my character's changed my mind more times than I yeah, eat lunch. I mean, <laughs> I never know. I just finished a short story today. I wanted it to go one way, and mm-hmm. the 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 ending came out of nowhere. I still don't know where that ending came from, and I'm sitting here scratching my head, going, "What just happened?" <laughs>
3: yes, yeah, what I call yeah. what I like to call writing by the seat of your pants. <laughs> yeah. Mhm. Um, well, a lot of people I've talked to over the years have said that they like to um, set up um, diagrams and, and such and exactly how the story was going to go and which character is going to enter and where they're going to do it and all this stuff in the book. Whereas mm-hmm. I like to have a rough outlay of everything. I know where the story begins, where the story ends, and what should take place in the middle. And then I like to write mm-hmm. as the, as the, as the, it like, right by the seat of my pants. I like to let the characters move the story in that direction, whatever direction they happen to go. It makes the book so much more fun for me to write and for everyone else to read. At some in my opinion. Well, and no, I, I agree.
1: agree. And, <clears throat> and I'm sure Ian agrees.
2: Oh, yeah. No, I do, too. I definitely, uh, that's that's exactly how I write, too, is I know where to start, where to end, and I know some of the events that I want to happen in the middle, but it is it's kind of like an out-of-body experience, like what's controlling my hand right now? Because it's not
0: me. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about that. <laughs> But
3: well, I learned a, I learned a lot of my writing trait, um, not the style. Of course, as I, as I tell everyone, every other writer, um, yeah, you'll, when you first start to write, you're going to probably start copying people, but you'll, you'll develop your own writing style as you move along. You have to. But um, my 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 best inspiration, I think, growing up for writing was was always going to be um, Rod Serling in The Twilight Zone.
1: Mm-hmm. I live in the twilight zone, so I understand yeah. <laughs> that.
2: it's <laughs> time to go back to your room. <laughs> well, and it's funny that you mentioned that because um, I was actually talking about that with somebody else too, was that it doesn't seem like there's anything new. It's just a different flavor of a different of, a, of the same meal. You know, instead of adding salt to this meal, you, you
3: took the salt yeah, the, out
2: or instead of adding the, the
3: pepper... The general idea of everyone seems to have, at least a large group, I don't, I'm not naming names or pointing fingers, mind you, um, don't get the wrong idea. I just know the large trend, there we go, that's what I'm looking for, in writing these days is to follow the leader. So if, for instance, when Fifty Shades of Grey hit the big market, everybody wanted to write erotica. If another Blood. book like Stephen King comes out in a big hit, now everybody wants to write horror. Uh, it's kind of like the movie industry nobody wants to go out and individually write their own stories anymore they always want to follow the pack and hope to hit it big that way whereas i always thought if people people enjoy my writing and and i enjoy writing it then that's all the much better i mean but i'm always going to write what mm-hmm. i want to write
2: well and to your to your testament too or to your credit um you know there's so many people that they write one book and then the sequel sucks
0: right Oh, it, yeah it <laughs>
2: it doesn't deliver the same amount of emphasis or it just feels like it was a continuation of the first movie to make you, you know, buy another product of this franchise. But um, you've, you know, had a couple of sequels and it seems like it's done well for you. So kudos to you, man.
3: Oh, thank you. Um, You'll always find something new in anything I've, I've written. At least I like to hope you do. Like uh, the Grand Game, which is what I'm working on right now, um, I have to start that with with three or four brand new characters because they'll all be drawn in with William and Doug in this whole big mess. Because you have three more gods that entered the game at the end of a simple game, and they're all going to be following their leads from those gods. So yeah, things are just going to get bigger and uglier. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's going to be a mess. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and to get back to your point, Tim. That's one thing that no one can ever accuse me of doing, and that's following the masses or writing like the masses. I've never been a follower. I found out that early on that people who follow people always wind up like the lemmings and jump over the cliff and don't even know why they've jumped (laughs) over the cliff. (laughs)
3: Well, you get a lot of these new a lot of new writers i've I've noticed I talked to quite a few on facebook and and such they're saying that they're you know they've they spent a lot of time writing these books and putting them out on Amazon, but no one's buying them but then again you're writing the same plot that everyone else is writing mm-hmm. over and over and over again,
1: just changing the names to protect the guilty yeah <laughs> yeah, that's a good one and 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 what what they also don't realize and and Ian, I know you're an avid reader too, but what they don't realize. Mm-hmm is these authors and i have read books since I, before i started school at 6 years old so i've read thousands of books and what happens with these with these traditional authors is they write the same plot line they change the city They change the names of the characters, but they write the same plot line over and over and over again. And the reason they do that is because they lose their creative talent because the publishers push them to get books out. Yeah, and that happens a lot. Yeah, and in the case of Patterson, he doesn't even write his own books anymore. He writes the beginning, he writes the end, and then he hands it off to some unknown to fill it in. And his writing has gotten really sloppy. There are a lot of authors out there that I won't read anymore for that very reason. And they were good authors years ago.
3: I heard a, a rumor from somebody who read the entire Wheel of Time series by Robert Jordan. Um, I don't mm-hmm. know if you're if, if you're familiar with that, but um, mm-hmm. he, they said that the the first the first five books were fantastic, but after that it started to it started to get started to go downhill, and he thought it's because Jordan had run out of ideas for that series and wanted to end it earlier, but the publishers kept telling him no 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 we've got a winner you got to write another book right uh-huh. <laughs> he's he just kind of run out of ideas,
1: <laughs> and that's what happens because they don't allow yeah. these authors to stretch themselves out to build new characters or new plot lines because they're pushing them to get these books out now the beauty of the three of us being independent authors is we don't answer to publishers
2: we, we answer to our readers every day yeah exactly
1: it took me four <laughs> that's, that's years the only people to, that hold power it and it took me four years to write a voice from the grave it took me two years to write *Silent Scream*. It took me three years to write *The Mad Hatter*, and the reason being, I did my homework, and I allowed mm-hmm. the 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 characters to do their thing. And when you when should we Hatter's, remind the
2: listeners how big on Amazon you got from those three books?
1: Oh, <laughs> all over the world. Exactly. <laughs> Congratulations, by the way. <laughs> You just and we and and the thing is, people are now reading in the authors because traditional publishers have screwed their own authors so bad that they they're putting out junk, garbage in, garbage out.
3: Yeah, there was one author I read, a Canadian author. I wish I could remember his name. I read an article by him who's talking about um, some of the big publishers and saying that it's not. All, all uh, roses and and sweet sweet wine when you get in with publishing with the big publishers because a lot of the time you spend most of your time pacing back and forth in front of the uh, mailbox waiting for your check.
1: <laughs> exactly, and then they chop yeah. your they chop your book up to where yeah. what your intent was is nothing that is the finished product. You have no say so on marketing. You have no say so on the book cover. Some books I won't even pick up by traditional authors because the book cover looks like crap.
2: (laughs) Well, let's be fair. I mean, I'm I'm not trying to be a, you know, positive Pete over here, but there are some, (laughs) some, yeah, you're like, how dare you? Um, There are some, some good traditional publishers. They're not all bad. It's just, especially for us three, you know, I I jokingly said, you know, Yvonne, tell the listeners how, how successful those books were. Um, same story. I was top
3: 100,000 like in the world yeah, I mean, on, There on are good Amazon. publishers. There are definitely good publishers out there. I have nothing against publishers in general, any type of publishers. Um, they're the only type of publishers I, I have a problem with, um, like, say, Simon & Schuster, for instance, which I'll never probably end up writing for anyway, <laughs> is, um, is the fact that when you write for a big-name publisher who's paying you to write a story, uh, the story you pitch to them. You are no longer writing your story. You are writing the story that the editor wants to read. Exactly.
1: You are exactly if right.
2: one of our sponsors for the radio show. If so, no. We'd good. no. Okay, just making sure. No. We might need to make a couple no. phone calls after that. No.
1: <laughs> but what he's saying is exactly right. You're writing for. Oh what yeah. The, and and ninety-nine percent of editors that are out there <laughs> are frustrated writers. They don't have the courage to write their own story so they want to take somebody else's and rewrite it and put it out there. And that's a shame. Well,
2: and, and you got to think from their perspective, too. They literally have a slush pile. I mean, they probably have 20 manuscripts in a row that they need to get through in three or four days. And so they're not, they're not happy. That's not, that's not a happy reader. We were not meant to read 10 or 15 books in a week. Uh, well, no, that's, you know,
0: I,
3: I I completely agree. But here's a good example of what I was what I make what the, the point I was trying to make, um, which you both understand completely. And I'm sure the listeners do too. But I sent out a short story called Catherine's Prayer, which I put into uh, the Salvation of Tango Gal. So I'm sure Yvonne's I don't know if mm-hmm. you guys are still familiar with that story, but and it's basically about a woman who is being accused of a witch, uh, being a witch, and, and the witch during the witch trials and. Um, She's basically locked in a in a cellar um, where the witch finder's trying to get her to admit that she's a witch. And I sent that off to several different um, magazines, and I got one reply back from an editor who said that she liked the story a lot. Now, this is a female editor, which is cool, but she said she liked the story a lot, but she's not publishing it because um, Catherine didn't do anything in the story to get herself out of the situation she was in. Which didn't make any sense to me because if you look at the Salem witch trials in history, there's nothing she could have done to get herself out of that situation. Right. That is true. Open a history book,
2: you know.
0: <laughs>
3: right. Yeah, Sorry, I mean.
2: right. that 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 was a little bit a little bit aggressive. <laughs> My mistake. But I mean, like, yeah, I'm with you. Like, hey, um, if history looks like. Sunshine and Rainbows, you're not reading the right history book because it's not all Sunshine and Rainbows. Like, yeah,
3: so I'm, I'm thinking to myself, what do you expect her to do, pull out a machine gun or something? It just right. doesn't work that way.
1: And, and what, she to, what she fails <laughs> to realize is the women of that time had absolutely no rights at all. They were at the mercy of the men around them.
3: Correct. There's no, absolutely nothing that the main character could have done. She does get out of the situation using outside using an outside help, outside force. But since uh, she, the woman, refused to publish the short story simply because the main character, which is Catherine, didn't do anything to get herself out of that situation. And you know, if you're locked in a cellar in the 1600s,
1: <laughs> being accused of murder, l- there
3: really is nothing you could do.
1: <laughs> you're locked in a cellar. There's no getting out of the cellar. <laughs> um, un- so unless she was. Unless she was wanting, unless she was wanting Catherine to use her witchly powers to get herself out of the cellar, but that's Catherine level. was not really a witch.
3: Yeah, she was never a witch to begin with. She was just being accused of.
1: Can't cure stupid.
3: Oh well, well you know this, uh, it's.
2: You can, but it it uh, comes with a jail sentence sometimes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but but see, I, I'm not one to waste that bullet. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'd rather, I'd rather do it defending my family or something like that. It's there a lot more honorable than, than so trying hoping, to uh, eliminate the hurt. So herd. I'm
3: when people, um, people read uh, Dark Creatures, a simple game, they want to go back and look at Tang LaGelle. So, so like, the Salvation of Tang LaGelle is an older book, and it's written more uniquely than Dark Creatures. Dark Creatures is all third-person, straightforward, whereas I tried something new when, I, when it was my first book, which was The Salvation of Tang LaGelle. Um, that was a, a collection of 13 stories, 12 of which are, are separate um, time periods, all pulled together by the 13th story at the end, and it goes from first person to third person. And that kind of turned a lot of people off, I guess, from what I understand. I mean, they liked the book and everything, but they, they had found it originally kind of hard to follow when they were start, first started to read it because they couldn't get a hold of the first person third person shift.
1: Well, the thing is, they didn't know they they didn't know how to open their mind to switching back and forth and and Ian can probably back me up on this most of the population thinks on a one-dimensional plane and when you try to get them to think on a two or three-dimensional plane it, it's overload they just can't wrap their head around it
2: oh yeah I definitely agree and actually that's the um, segue if I can ask you another question Tim Sure. Um, just as a fellow, you know, dark fantasy writer as well. Have you ever thought about writing outside of your genre? Because I know for yes, me... Yes, actually. Um, I was... Go
3: ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I don't know. Finish your first finish your thing.
2: Uh, so I know for me, um, when I started getting published, you know, everyone kind of pulls that thread that they're like, man, it's a, it's a horror story it's a, story, it's a ghost story. It's a ghost story, it's a ghost story. It's a horror story, and I'm like, I know... I want to get back into my dark fantasy, you know, Conan the Barbarian writing. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, and fortunately, well, i on the same thing. The publisher that – the independent publisher that I'm working with wants me to write a story in this genre. So for me, you know, I never felt like I was cheating myself or selling myself out. I knew I was going to go back to my original love. Um, and I was wondering if maybe – You are in the same kind of vein that you're. You're like, man, I want to get out of this dark fantasy genre, but I'm afraid that you know, I'm gonna look like this or that or what do you? Oh no,
3: I get your point completely. Um, let's see, who was it? Stephen King had that same problem. Um, not to bring his name up a lot, but I know a lot about King when I, I read a lot of his stuff when I was really young. Mm-hmm. And um, his his one well, his big gripes when he was writing, oh God, I think it was um, it wasn't The Shining. I think I read this right after he did Talisman, The Talisman with William um, I can't I can't Rogers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he said that that was his big problem is that everyone loved his horror to the point where when he wanted to write fantasy or science fiction or something like that, they turned him down immediately because they didn't think it would sell. Right. Because no, also, and um, correct me
2: if I'm wrong, he used a pen name, right? He actually was, yeah, he had to. I believe, he said he had Richard Bachman. Yeah,
3: he has said he had to use a pen name in order to get out, uh, get his his other genre stuff out.
2: Yeah.
3: But um, that's why I'm designing dark creatures the way I am. Um, I really do love dark fantasy, and actually, at the moment, I'm not—I don't feel trapped by writing dark fantasy because I'm still working on the series as a whole, which I would hope to be maybe you know four to five books long. And right now, I'm only on book three, um, so I'm, I'm not—I don't really feel trapped by it. And if I got a huge following of people who loved the series, it wouldn't bother me one bit. In fact, I'd really love it. Um, hint, hint. Anyone out there?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hence
3: The purpose but, um, of this interview. <laughs> but I also designed the world of dark creatures and the dark creatures um back uh scenario to the point where I can branch off to almost anything and make it work in my world in the, mm-hmm. the world that I've got going. Um the shoot off shoot book for instance that I've got for this for this series is um called the pil uh the uh, uh the uh, the four pillars. There it is, yeah, the four pillars. <laughs> and that 's got its own it's a, that 's a straight fantasy um, related book it's, it doesn 't have any dark creatures in it, but it is part of that world of dark creatures plus I can also go into science fiction using the modern world and um, and still transition into the world of dark creatures so i 've got outlets to go in a whole different lot of different directions. With the way I've designed the world um, It's kind of like um, Not to beat a dead horse like I do with a lot of other interviews So I apologize <laughs> I grew up with a lot of Twilight Zone If you watch Twilight Zone, Rod Serling never felt himself Confined to just one genre When he was writing about it
1: That's very yeah. true, he did not He he went, He was all over the map
3: Yep, he built himself a world The Twilight Zone where he could do that Which is what I'm doing with Dark Creatures
2: Oh and hey Don't... Um don't don't feel like you're being a dead horse 'cause this is this is off the chain man we 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 talk about whatever we feel like, so you just keep talking about what you want to talk about. Don't even worry about that
1: exactly is that right, Yvonne you are yeah. absolutely right, my sweetheart. you are absolutely right, and that's the beauty of this show is because I own this show. we're not restricted, and people know how to turn me off if they don't want to listen. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the old, they know where that off button is They don't want to hit
3: it they know where it is We don't want you to hit that off button no.
1: Well the thing is that they, it, 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 It's like it's, it's like When you watch a horror movie And, and you see somebody trying to, They're going to walk in that door And you don't want them to walk in the door But you know they're going to walk in the door They know they're going to the they mm-hmm. walk in the door Well it's the same thing with this show they don't want to turn us off because they're going to miss something, but they want to turn us off because we may or may not offend them. But yet they they want to turn us off because they're going to miss something. So they're <laughs> <laughs> So when
3: I wrote Dark Creatures or I developed Dark Creatures in my head, I I went for a Twilight Zone type of idea that I want people when they read the book. Um, I don't know Ian if you've read Dark Creatures or not. You don't. Um, if you if you're interested, please look it up. <laughs> <laughs> Plug, plug. No, anyway,
2: read it before um, the uh, the interview, and I'm sorry about that. But
0: no, 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 that's no, quite all
2: right. It, I mean, um, it's interesting enough that I definitely want to now. So <laughs> I better, but uh, I want
0: people
3: when I when I wrote design the worlds of dark creatures and the whole setup and stuff. Um, i uh, the two things came to mind. One, I loved anime, and I was using a, a, a an arm of some of the what anime uses. It's called the itzyki route. Mm-hmm where a, player, a a person is sucked into a fantasy world and they're given an, an incredible power. Well, I took the power away from these individuals. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the second thing I, I was hoping for is that when you're done reading the book, um, you go out and look at the world a little bit differently. You'll look at what might be behind that shadow or what's around that corner. Or, <laughs> or if you watch that piece of paper blow down the street. Uh, um, just just take you out of your comfort zone a little
1: well, talking about comfort zones, tell me about the comic book characters that you're creating. Are they going to be along the same lines as, as the fantasy creatures in your books?
3: Um, those were actually a couple of years ago. We, I almost had a couple of, of characters um, lined up to go into DC Comics, but unfortunately that particular deal fell through at the time. Um, they were, um, the char- those particular characters weren't horror characters. They were superheroes. Because that's what um, DC and Marvel actually publish for the most part. To uh, to do a horror anthology in comics, or you'd have to find an independent um, company that that would publish that, and then you got to find a damn good artist. <laughs> um, which brings me to another point. Not to, to sidetrack the uh, the comic book thing. Um, I I still help, you know, still create characters like that. Um, I still role play occasionally, so I characters create characters like that, but. I haven't tried to get a comic book character made in quite some time because the field in uh, the writers' field in that is so swamped. I talked to an editor in DC once, called Mike Golden, about about that. Since well, as I said, I did have a character, that, a couple of characters that were being considered at the time, and he said he had a pile of submissions uh, as high as a bookcase of well, people oh, you wanting know, wanting want, want, want to get into that stuff. So if you even talk to an editor, um, you, you, you're one step ahead.
1: <laughs> I didn't think um, yeah. that comics were that prominent anymore. Well, oh, yeah. Back,
3: oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're still huge. Even if they say that, that the readership is going down for comic books, which they, which I still think is the um, editor's fault for going particular direction politically, which I don't think they should. But well, um oh, That's another story for another time, I guess. But um, – I still think there's a lot of kids out there who read comic books who, look, who are looking for heroes that, that they can come up with. I mean, look at the Green Lantern Corps. I mean, I mean that's still huge. Hell Jordan and Green Lantern is still huge. Um, mm-hmm. Superman is still huge. Um, Wonder Woman is still huge. So I think I mean, there's, well, there's you, an audience out there.
2: I was, gonna, I was just going to touch on that. You have two things going on, right? Because we we're still making the superhero movies, so when you make the movies, you want to read the comics and bounce the comics. Off of what we know of the movie, so we can say, oh, that's not true, or oh, okay, yeah, they, they did pretty a pretty good rendition. But the other thing that you have, and something that um, I did with my daughter, for better or for worse, um, I would read Conan the Barbarian and read Sonia to her. Nice. And then when she got when she got old enough, she wanted to read the Hedgehog comic book. And so that's why the comic books are still alive to this day because there was a generational gift passed down from, you know, um, grandparent to parent to child to you know, whatever, grandchild. Oh, that's that's what's keeping it alive is because you know,
3: the warm and you, yeah, feelings you have I fathers felt. fathers to
2: sons and, right, the, the sons the, and
3: mothers to daughters and
2: Right. Um, the, the warm feelings I felt with the comic books. When I was growing up, grabbing a new adventure, wondering what was going to happen in those pages, you instill—I instilled in my child—and um, you know, it just keeps the line going. She, hopefully, she'll do it one day too. And I asked, I ask. Do you have children as well?
3: Yeah, actually, I learned uh, from my father, who actually started collecting. I still have some of his older ones. From I still have some forty to thirty-cent comic books. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> from back in the day um yeah oh, really? uh, tales of the unexpected and a whole bunch of a couple of those others um and i guess i started with him and then i branched out on my own with other other uh, comic book characters the only ones I only, think I only thing i should say i disapproved of was in the 80s when they turned heroes into villains or anti-heroes why did they I do that it's it's a grit thing. It's a, it, uh, see, I don't have a problem with anti-heroes because um, Augury and Parson, Lilica, Trivian are, are anti-heroes. A lot of my care, care, book characters that are villains are anti-heroes. Um, an anti-hero is something that does, someone who does the right thing for the wrong reasons. Right. Uh, and then they do well, it very violently.
2: <laughs> so let's look at what was going on in the 1980s, though.
3: Um, yeah, so you look at Wolverine, for instance. Wolverine originally started out as more of a detective. He was supposed to be the Batman of the Marvel Universe. Um, and then they turned him into this meat grinder in the '80s. Um, all he did, he didn't didn't try to think things through or, or figure anything out. He just cut things up. Um, you got um, you know um, people blowing people up in Batman. You've got people cutting people up, breaking people's backs. <laughs> Uh, the Green Lantern went completely crazy and killed the entire Lantern Corps? No, I'm sorry. Hell, Jordan wouldn't do that.
1: <laughs> no. Well,
3: but again, look look at what was going on in the 1980s,
2: because just like we were talking about earlier, that you know, fantasy and fiction and reality blend, there was probably something going on in the world where that theme was prominent.
3: But they were trying to make the stories more gritty and such, but I think if you're going to do that, then in my own opinion, mind you, um, I still think that you should be able to create new characters to do that and get their own following instead of taking characters that are already established and then warping their sense of justice completely out of skew. But that's just my opinion, mind you.
2: Well, and I'll, I'll count with my opinion as well. And again, this is friendly banter, but your characters should change, right? Like you're you just like um, it should kind of follow the same scale of when you're a teenager to when you're an adult to when you're an older adult, stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So do you think that maybe they didn't change the character? They just changed the character in the sense of how they were feeling at that time? So Superman (laughs) was sick and tired of saving the world, and he was like, you know what, screw it. I'm done saving the world. This is what I'm going to do now.
3: You know, you're making a good point, and I and I get the point that that could come up. It's just that as a character or as a person, you never you in the core of a person never changes, in my opinion. You can change the way you look, you can change the way you move, you can change the way you talk, you can change your attitudes, but but your your core belief, whatever that might be, never really changes. It's always right there. You always measure the world based off of what your core belief is. If your core belief, mm-hmm. like in Hal Jordan's case, is justice or in Super, or, or Clark Kent's case, is justice, you mm-hmm. might... You know you might change your you might rough up your your villains more um instead of not doing what Superman would normally do and not rough them up um you you might you know cause them more more problems you might burn down more buildings but you wouldn't kill them
1: <laughs> <laughs> that could be debatable especially oh well, if, I mean. well okay let's let's put let's put all both both sides of these together in a pot and think about it. If the superhero felt like that he was the lone wolf in a wilderness of stupidity and he just, he had enough and he said, okay, I'm done with this. I'm done with putting these guys in jail and then them breaking out or then them being let out, so we're just going to illuminate them and be done with it because for everyone that he, that, that, he put away. Ten took their place.
3: See, I get your point, but then say so if you take the, the the same idea of Superman doing that, for instance, um, he would no longer be Superman. He'd have to be a new carry, be a different individual. He no. would no longer be the Man of Steel. Um, I, his whole. Oh, god! Sorry.
2: No, I, I do see what you're saying. You're saying that slight deviations in your core are acceptable, but the way that it was portrayed was. Almost gross misrepresentation. Is that what you're essentially stating?
3: Yeah, I mean, Hell Jordan. For instance, the the, take the Hell Jordan situation of the 80s, where he killed the entire Lantern Corps. Hell Jordan. I don't. Are you familiar with that storyline, Ian? No.
0: Not okay, well, that's really. fine. <laughs> that's
3: no, right. that's why I started <laughs> laughing. I was like, uh. <laughs> it was during the Doomsday uh, storyline they had where Doomsday was destroying the Earth, um, and he blew up the city that, or destroyed the city that Hell Jordan was supposed to be protecting. And so what Hell Jordan did was he recreated a, an image of that city using his ring so he could say goodbye to all his loved ones, and then the guardians came down and said he had misused his ring and he had to give it back to them. The, first of all, the Guardians never would have done that <laughs> because he had misused his ring. Um, second, Hal Jordan decided he wasn't going to return his ring. In fact, he was going to steal all the rings, take all the power, and recreate the universe. Nobody shifts their dyma- dynamic that fast, that quickly. Even if you're grieved, even if you're, you're ticked off the way everything works as it, or hasn't worked, your dyam, dynamic changes over time. There has to be a certain amount of stuff to tell you that your dynamic is changing. Look at, um, you know, a good example is um, The Punisher. The Punisher has changed multiple times over, over, over his comic book career, um, and the way he does things has changed multiple times. His look has changed multiple times, um, and he, they could do that because they took it incrementally by incrementally when they changed him. Uh, in the 80s, what they did was they took pre-established characters, and they just snapped their fingers.
1: Hmm. I wonder if we could do that I wonder if we could just snap our fingers And change some of the people in the world To be better people
2: <laughs> It make things uh, easier wanna?
1: Yeah it would <laughs> Y'all are not going to believe this But we have reached our five minute mark Oh
3: wow well, I definitely thank you, Yvonne, for having me on off the chain again. It was definitely a lot of fun. Thank you, Ian. I appreciate your your commentary about comic books and, and books in general. Of course, it
1: ha- it has been an interesting hour, has it not, Ian? No,
2: it is. This is for one of three. This is probably the best of the three. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs>
0: this
1: is and this is- same person that was late to the party yeah I know about him yeah <laughs> hey 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 I wasn't late
2: I was fashionably late <laughs>
1: yeah he was fa- <laughs> ladies and gentlemen our, our guest tonight here on off the chain has been author Tim Abrams and if you have not yet sampled his work and you are into dark fantasy you want to because he is an exceptional author he is an exceptional human being And it's always fun when he comes on the show because my mind explodes with with all of the the things that he knows. Sometimes I just can't wrap my head around it because I just want to keep listening to more and more and more and more. So look him up at www.thedarkcreatures.com. And also go on Amazon and order his books. Hook up with him on Facebook. He is under Tim Ahrens. And just enjoy the journey that he takes his readers on and get ready for this third book to come out, hopefully sometime this year, unless he's going to be another R. R. Martin and say he's writing another <laughs> book and we never see it again.
3: <laughs> no, no, I am in the process of writing this one. Um, I do want to throw in a couple of plugs, if I might, by the end of the show here. Um When you Absolutely. look at TangleGale... And you look at Tang Lagal, the Salvation of Tang Ligale, and Dark Creatures a Simple Game, you'll notice that it's full of artwork. Uh that artwork is done by talented artists, um, Eric Turman and uh, James Reich. Both those guys um have did a fantastic job on my books. I'm gonna have I'm hoping to have James work on a couple more pieces for me for the grand game for the inside of the book. Um I want to give a plug out to Atmosphere Press, who actually picked up this this third book f- um, from me. So um, I'll be publishing through them for the Grand Game. Um, they they they're a lot of fun to work with. I, so I recommend if you're interested to submit to them. They're definitely lots of fun.
1: Nice. Well done. So, Mister Mister. Ian, do you have any words of wisdom? Oh, before you do your words of wisdom, on Monday night, ladies and gentlemen, we will have Jay Traveler Pelton as our guest here um, um, off the chain at 8 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time. She is an amazing author as well. I have known her for several years. So, Ian, any words of wisdom for this Thursday evening at 8.57 p.m.?
2: Uh, I'll do a quick one, though, to Tim, but I think we've already hit on it a couple times, is that uh, reality and fantasy are, are few and far between, right? That, that line is very, very thin. So when something seems weird, it might not be weird. It might just be different than what you think, and it might be different than you perceived before. So go ahead, Tim.
3: Uh, my words of wisdom come from an ancient prophecy. <laughs> it goes. Any individual who follows one truth to the exclusion of all other truths will find his truth has become a lie and and he a fanatic.
1: That's an interesting concept. And it mirrored
2: it mirrored perfect it's almost like we planned this. (laughs) <laughs> again,
1: again these, ladies and gentlemen, you got to understand. I've known both of these people for many, many years. So they they manage to get inside of my head with all the other voices, and it gets really, really crowded in there. So, <laughs> just saying.
3: Um, I will put in a plug with the last couple of seconds, if I can, for a friend of mine. Um, his name is Neil Reby. Um He's actually published a kaiju book, which is a monster book like Godzilla. It's called Thou Shalt Not Mate. Um, I recommend it if you like kaiju stuff.
1: Well, you ought to send him to me so I can get him on this show so that we can have fun um, with him, too.
3: I'll have you contact him. He's definitely somebody you want to talk to.
1: Nice. And that'll be a fun night. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> So, ladies and gentlemen, this is your host and your co-host, Yvonne Mason and Ian Bush, who I absolutely adore, with our guest, author Tim Ahrens, here at Off the Chain. We want to thank you for joining us. Please, if you joined us late, listen to the archives, share this show, because it is being heard all over the world, and we want to give our independent authors, artists, and musicians the ability to be heard and read all over the world. So until next time on Monday night at 8 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time, we will say good night. And if you want to be on the show, contact me at YvonneMason84 at Yahoo.com or on my Facebook page under Yvonne Mason. Until Monday night, we wish you well, stay safe, and keep laughing. It keeps you healthy. So good night all and thank you for joining us.